If you have a Bible with you this morning, you're welcome to turn to Mark chapter 1. We'll be looking at verses 29 through 39. If you don't have a Bible, you can find the text in your order of worship, or you can use your phone or anything else you'd like. So I say to you, hear the word of God. And immediately he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever, and immediately they told him about her. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and the fever left her, and she began to serve them. That evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons, and the whole city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons, and he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went to a desolate place, and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him and said to him, Everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, Let us go on to the next towns, that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, I pray that as we um, continue in this series on healing, um, that we would be healed even this morning, that we would uh, be healed in our souls, that if we, people need physical healing, that we, would you even dare do that this morning? I pray um, that you would more than anything um, teach us the priority of Jesus as we enter into this uh, text. I pray for myself that you'd be in my head and in my thinking and in my heart, and in my understanding, and in my mouth, and in my speaking. In Jesus' name we pray all these things. Amen. Amen. Well, this is uh, the second week in our series on um, healing in the Gospel of Mark. And really, we're looking at healing not so much to find out like sort of how-tos, like how can I, how can I get healed from you know, I've, my bursitis in my hip, or whatever it is you have. It's more what do the healings in the Gospel of Mark teach us about the person and work of Jesus. So this morning, um, we're looking at the second healing miracle that Jesus does. It's actually one big one, and then a bunch, you know, the whole town comes out. But before we do that, I sort of want to set a little context. And so the question I want to ask you this morning to begin with is this. I I want you to imagine it's sort of a Saturday morning at your house, a normal Saturday morning. And on that normal Saturday morning, about nine in the morning, you get a phone call, and what you find out is that your favorite celebrity or your favorite person or someone you were, it could be a politician, it could be a celebrity. So let's just assume it was me. Someone calls at nine in the morning. No, not me coming. Someone calls me. And they say, and they say Tommy, Tommy, here's the deal. At, no, at 9.30 this morning in a half hour, Chuck Norris is going to show up at your house. Now, who would that be for you? Right? It could be anybody. Right? It might be a politician. It might be a famous religious person. But you have a half hour. Now, the question is, we haven't gotten to the question yet. The question is, what does that half hour look like? <laughs> Between the time you got the call and the time they arrive, do you just sit back on your lazy boy and say, man, that's awesome. I don't know about you, but I'd probably try and clean up the place. Don't you think? Or I would, you know, and, and all you guys are like, well, my wife might freak out, but I would be okay. Don't, come on. Chuck Norris? 
Man, I'd be down in my wood shop. I'd be looking for stuff. I'd be trying to get ready for that person to come. Because when when visitors come, we just have this inclination, I think, to to be ready for them or to to sort of put our best foot forward. Now, I want you to put your your mind in a different uh, mindset and think about uh, Simon Peter. See, we've looked, last week we looked at the text, and then today's text is really just part of last week's uh, passage in Mark, because it's one 24-hour day. And so now, imagine you're Peter, and what you've done is in the morning, you've been called by this rabbi Jesus, and you decided to follow him. And so you're following Jesus, and you follow him, and you go to, with him into a synagogue, and there in the synagogue, he teaches all day. And as he's teaching, it's, it's amazing, you remember, because he teaches as one who has authority. He doesn't just sit up there and quote other rabbis. He says, you've heard it said, but I say. And he's teaching all day. And those of you who, who are teachers uh, for a living or those of you who have preached, no, it could be pretty, pretty exhausting, right? So he knows that Jesus is pretty tired. And then at some point in there, right, you have the demon-possessed church member that Jesus had to deal with. And so Jesus has not only spent the morning calling disciples, he's not only spent the day teaching in the synagogue, but he also has then spent the, the part of the afternoon, we presume, battling this demon. And then you can imagine all this is done and they're, they're finished and Jesus turns to Simon, Simon and Andrew and says, hey, you know what? I'm beat. Let's go to your house. Okay. What do you think if you're Peter? Especially, we note, because of the language that's used, that the, his mother-in-law is so ill that, that he had to have probably known beforehand. It isn't like something that just happened. She's sort of like deathly ill. Like most people think she had something like malaria. Like the, 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 she, so Simon Peter's like, Jesus wants to come to my house, and the cook is sick. Clearly, she's the one who cooks because as soon as she's well, she gets on it, right? And so Peter had to be just wondering, what's going on? What are we going to do? And he's looking at Andrew like, because if you think about it, in the ancient Near East, the primary value was hospitality. You see, you, you and I, we might think, well, someone's coming over, we have to get our house cleaned up. They would think you have to get the house cleaned up and we have to provide a feast fit for a king, no matter who it was. And so now imagine Peter go, thinking, what is he thinking the whole way walking back to their house? So we're going to look at three things this morning in this passage. And we're going to look at, basically, we're going to look at grace. And when I talk about grace, I'm, I'm basically, I, I'm using that as a technical term for the person and work and the priority of Jesus. Okay? So basically, we're going to look at three things. The three things we're going to look at is this, is that grace, in this passage, grace goes and grace flows. And then finally, grace grows Really, the last one is about more the priority of Jesus, but it didn't rhyme, right? So grace goes, <laughs> grace flows, and grace grows. You'll see it grow, though. So when we talk about grace going, what do I mean? Let's look at the first few verses here. Verse 29, it says, And immediately he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon, Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever, and immediately they told him about her. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and the fever left her, and he, she began to serve them. So where does grace go? That's the question. And in this passage, we see where grace goes is grace almost always goes to the unworthy and the unprepared. Grace goes to the unworthy and the unprepared. Clearly, Peter and Andrew are not 
ready for Jesus to be there. Clearly, they're, they're not prepared. And clearly, because the mother-in-law is sick, there's no hope unless Jesus does something. And so what is Peter's response to grace sort of entering his mess, to, to his unprepared household? It's easy to miss, but in, in some sense it's not. It, what they do is they pray. Notice what it says in verse uh, 30. It says, Now Simon Peter's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever, and immediately they told him about her. Right? What is prayer but telling, t- talking to, to God? Now, do they know that Jesus is God yet? Probably not. But there's something instructive here about what they do. You see, Peter, instinctively, intuitively, they know that there's nothing they can do about his mother-in-law being sick. And so what they do is they tell Jesus. Now, notice what they don't do. They don't come up with a solution and then ask Jesus to bless that solution. In other words, when you and I pray a lot of times, or when we don't pray, I think the failure, of the, the we have a failure to pray, when we have a failure to pray, it's oftentimes because we, some problem confronts us, and we look at the problem, and we come up with a solution in our mind, and then we go to Jesus and say, Jesus, will you give me the answer to my prayers, the solution that I've come up with? And if we can't come up with a solution, we don't bring it. And most often, what we probably need to do is go to Jesus and simply tell him what's going on in our lives. Just tell him. Imagine Peter, Jesus, here's the deal. I know that when a guest comes over, we're supposed to treat him like kings. I know that when you, you've been you're beat, you've been gone teaching all day, you battled that demon, and you expected that you would come to my house, and you'd be served a good meal, and you would be able to get some rest, but here's the thing, I got nothing. I got nothing. Simple as that. He doesn't ask Jesus to, to fix dinner. He doesn't ask Jesus to fix the mother-in-law. He basically admits his weakness. And how does Jesus respond to to the admission of weakness or the admission of failure or the admission of unpreparedness, well, he shows compassion. He always does. You see, most of us, I think, we expect that Jesus is going to, we need the house cleaned up before he can come over. We need to get our lives straightened out before Jesus can enter in. And that is just contrary to everything you learn in the Gospels. That Jesus comes to us, not in the midst when we have everything together, but he comes to us in the midst of our brokenness and in the midst of our weakness, in the midst of our unpreparedness. And in that time, he doesn't come and say, Tommy, I can't believe what an idiot you are. He comes and he shows compassion. What's amazing about this passage, and among other things, is that if you look through the Gospels, Jesus heals people in just an incredible number of ways. Sometimes he heals people with just a word, right? He'll say, your son is healed, like miles away. Other times, he'll spit on the ground and make mud and put it on people's eyes. Or put his fingers in people's ears. There's lots of different ways. So what Jesus could have done, if he wanted Peter and Andrew to save face, is he he could have, as they were walking home, right? He's Jesus, he knows things. He could have healed the mother-in-law as they were walking home so that when he got there, dinner would have been ready. He could have had you know, his lunch and had his post-sermon beer and then sat down and watched the Seahawks and not had any problems. And yet he didn't. He chose in this case to wait. Why? 
I mean, we can only speculate, but it, I imagine it had something to do with people seeing him being willing to enter into their chaos. And in the context of their chaos, show compassion. Because did, didn't notice that Mark draws this out, and Mark's not one to draw things out. He says, he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and the fever left her, and she began to serve. He actually touched her and lifted her up, and then as the result, she served. Now, by the way, this isn't like a a case for patriarchy or something, which some people have used this passage for, right? That, That he needed to fix the woman so she'd get up and make him a sandwich. That's not the case. In Mark's gospel, the response to to Jesus' healing is almost always service, whether it's a man or a woman. It's people beginning to live out their purpose. Now, the question you have to ask yourself, do you feel like you experience grace very often? Do you feel like you experience joy very often? How many times have you thrown your shaker this week, right? If you don't feel like you're experiencing joy and you don't feel like you're experiencing grace, maybe it's because you're not letting Jesus enter into your mess. In other words, maybe you need to actually stop trying to have your act together. You have to need to stop being good. You need to stop trying to have everything cleaned up and everything in order and let Jesus enter into your chaos because you can't, he can't show you grace. He won't show you grace unless he's in there with you when you need it. Now, here's, here's some more good news, by the way. If you're the kind of person that you're, you're, you almost instinctively, you can't help but keep your act together, and you, you can't help, you're almost like, you know, some of us by wiring are sort of legalists, and some of us by wiring are, are just sort of orderly. Well, the good news of the gospel is Jesus, if your life isn't messy enough that needs his grace, he'll make it messy. Isn't that good? Right? So this whole idea, that, remember Revelation 3.20 says, you know, behold, I stand at the door and knock, and if anyone opens the door, I will go in and eat with him. And you get this idea that the decision is left up to us whether or not we're going to open that door. Right? So if you're in the house and Jesus is knocking and you'd say, well, I need to clean up first before I open that door, guess what he might do? Jack Miller would say sometimes he sets fire in the basement. Then you've got to open the door. You see, the mess and the chaos in your life right now isn't. It isn't because God is disappointed with you or displeased with you or angry at you, probably. It's an opportunity for him to enter in and show you how much he loves you, to show you his grace. So that's where grace goes. Grace goes to the person that needs it. Do you feel need of it? Grace not only goes, though, but it also flows. Um, Notice what happens next in verse uh, 32. It says, That evening at sundown they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons. The whole city was gathered together at the door, and he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons, and he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. So now it's interesting. Why would everyone wait till sundown? You must get this idea, right? When I, when I was in high school, I, don't, I've not, I haven't been in a, in a high school classroom in a while, but when I was in school, we had the big clocks with the, the analog hands, right? That if you listen closely, you could hear every tick, like kapoom, ching, kapoom, ching. And right, I lived for that moment every day at like 2.30 when you would see that clock, you know, the clicks back, and that took like 20 minutes, that one click. And then, bam, school's over. You get to come out. 
Like, people knew Jesus was at Simon Andrew's house, yet they didn't come until sundown. Why is that? Well, probably it's because, remember, we're on the same day still. And that Jesus was, was teaching in the, the synagogue on the Sabbath. He healed the demon-possessed man on the Sabbath. He healed Peter's mother-in-law on the Sabbath. But the Sabbath went from sundown to sundown. And so the people didn't want to violate the Sabbath in order for, to bring their friends to Jesus to heal them. In other words, if you carried someone on the Sabbath, they would have considered that work. If you walked on the Sabbath a certain distance, they would have considered that work. And so people waited till sundown to walk to Peter's house. Now what that means is either the people were either super religious or they felt super judged by the religious. Now guess what? This Capernaum is in Galilee of the Gentiles. It was a place where you lived if you were a Gentile or you were a Jew who wasn't particularly faithful. And so it tells you something about the, the religious atmosphere there. That the, the the way that most people viewed the scribes and the Pharisees was that, that they were judgmental and they didn't want to put up with it and so they just waited till sundown and as soon as sundown, as soon as the sun went down, the whole city came out. Now imagine, <laughs> I always try and put myself in the mind of the disciples. So, so they're trying to take care of Jesus, right? And Jesus has healed the mother-in-law, they've eaten dinner and they're all getting ready to just settle down for a good night's sleep and tomorrow we'll start over again. And someone looks out the window and, you know, Andrew says, you know, Peter, we're going to need a bigger house. You need to check this out. And they look out and people are just streaming in. People are coming. The whole city, it says in verse 33. So the whole city was gathered at the door. Verse 32, they brought sundown all who were sick or oppressed by demons. The whole city was gathered at the door and he healed many who were sick with various diseases. And he cast out many demons and he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. Now it's interesting, many of you know Charles Spurgeon is, is maybe my favorite historical preacher. And you know what Charles Spurgeon says this passage is about? He said this passage is about outreach. He told his congregation, he said, if Jesus is living in, if, if Jesus is at your house, how could your whole neighborhood not want to be there? If Jesus dwells in, with your family, how could everyone not want to, to come to your house? In, in, in other words, he's saying if you're a Christian, then, then you represent Jesus, that there should be some kind of effect, some kind of blessing you have on those around you to the extent that they, they know it and understand it. Now ask yourself, do your neighbors think that of you? I'm not saying that to, to make you feel guilty, but it is a question we ought to ask. Do your neighbors say, man, the Allens live down the street. They're this couple. He's a preacher. They're Christians. You know, I don't agree with everything they do, but I'm really glad they're here. I'm glad they live in our neighborhood. Right? That's one of the goals of our church, by the way. Right? That we would be a blessing to our neighbors in the world, whether or not they're Christians, by the way. And what you see in this passage, in many ways, is, is the difference between common grace and saving grace. What is common grace? Remember Matthew that Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount that the rain falls on the just and the unjust. In other words, imagine you have two farmers and one is a Christian and one's not a Christian. And when it rains, both of them are blessed by the rain. And the healings that you see here, they're not healings that, that are saving people from their sins. They're just healing because Jesus is blessing those who come. They don't, they don't really, in some sense, probably even know who Jesus is. All they know is if I go to him and he puts his hands on me and says the word, whatever my disease is, it leaves. 
They just want something from him. They don't necessarily want him. And, and notice Jesus doesn't say, get out of here unless you want to follow me. They come for healing and he blesses them. We as a church, we, if you're a Christian, that's our job as well. Our job isn't to judge people. Our job is to bless people. And the question of whether or not they, they follow is actually up to them and it's up to Jesus. And notice in the last, in here, it says, and he wouldn't permit the demons to speak because they knew him. A lot of people discuss, what is, why did Jesus do that? Well, it's probably pretty simple. It's just this. Remember the demons were shouting out, he's the Holy One of God, the Messiah, you know, you're the Son of God. They were basically trying to force Jesus' hand. And Jesus has his own timing and his own agenda. You see, you see, if the demons and the satanic hordes, whoever it is, could get the people more ginned up to sort of think of Jesus as a Messiah who's going to overthrow the Romans or the, the Messiah that they expected, then it would, it would shut down the ministry of Jesus. But Jesus having the power shuts them down because Jesus' agenda is different than the agenda that the people would have had for him. You see, their agenda would be to set him up as king, to deliver them from Roman oppressors, and put them in the place where their oppressors were. And the agenda of Jesus was not to, to wear the crown of a king, if you were, but it was to wear a crown of thorns. The agenda of Jesus ultimately was to go to the cross and die for their sins, and dying for their sins, to raise again from the dead, to bring really not just healing on a case-by-case -case basis, but healing to all the universe. That's what Jesus was, was doing. And it's interesting because they go from here to the priority of Jesus. Now, or, or notice what happens. It says, so he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. And in verse 35, rising uh, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place. And there he prayed. And Simon and those who, searched, who were with him searched for him. And they found him. And they said, everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, let us go over to the next town that I may preach there, for that is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. And so Jesus, who's had this incredibly long day, we imagine, I guess at some point, people went home. And before sun, the sun rises again, when people will come back out, Jesus is gone. It says that, that he rose early in the morning, while it's still dark, he departed, went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. Now, on one hand, we, you often read this and we hear, you know, if Jesus needed to go out and pray, how much more do we need to go out and pray? And Jesus woke up early, and how much more do we need to wake up early and seek God? There, you know, there's some truth to that. But maybe what's more the point here is that Jesus needed to do that. That what sustained Jesus was his relationship and communion with his Father. And we also see here that the disciples didn't understand that yet. They didn't really understand who Jesus was. All they understood that the Jesus came out as a teacher and what teacher doesn't want to be popular, what rabbi doesn't want to be followers. The whole town is coming out and they've come out again in the morning. And Peter probably goes to get Jesus and he's gone. And you know, he looks at Andrew and he says that Jesus, he's tricky, right? He didn't, what, what do you do? And so they go and they look for him. And the word there for search for him is hunt him. They hunted him down. And as they found him, you can imagine them exasperated. And they said, Jesus, everyone's looking for you. Because they probably, like we would have been done the same thing, why would you not want to heal everybody? Why would you not want to come back and sort of bask in that popularity? And did you notice Jesus' response? He tells them what his actual priority is. 
His, his priority is this. He says, let us go to the next towns that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. Now, this is an important verse. He's, so Jesus is saying, my priority actually is preaching. It's not just the healing. Now, every year, I don't know what time of year it is, but a quote starts circulating on Facebook and Instagram, and it's attributed to St. Francis of Assisi wrongly. And it says something like this. You've probably heard it. Preach the gospel at all times, and if necessary, use words. Have you ever heard that? Preach the gospel at all times, and if necessary, use words. Now, on one hand, that's like saying you feed the hungry at all times, and if necessary, use food. But either way, what Jesus says is that my priority, that that he goes from showing these incredible acts of mercy. So that's important to Jesus. We know from Acts chapter 9, it says that Jesus went around doing good, right? That that he went around just doing random acts of kindness, if you will. So that is important to Jesus. And blessing people, whether they follow him or not, is important to Jesus. But we also know what's more important to Jesus is preaching the gospel, his message that he has to preach. And so when you consider what was it that Jesus thought was so important that he had to preach, just consider the things that he said. Remember when he saved Zacchaeus, he said the son of man did what? He came to seek and save that which is lost. When I am lifted up, he preached at one point. He said, when I am lifted up, I'll draw all men unto myself. That Jesus over and over again said that the Son of Man must be crucified, die, and on the third day be raised again. He said, believe in God, believe also in me. That Jesus came to save. He wanted to tell people, the reason that I came was to save you from your sins. The reason that I came was to enter in. You see, the difference between us and Jesus is he says things and he does things and they sort of coalesce. Right, that Jesus says, I, come, I, I came to enter in and save you from your sins, and in the process, he is actually saving us from our sins. I came to be crucified and be raised from the dead, and he is crucified and is raised from the dead. So the question is this, where do you stand with regard to the message of Jesus? Where do you stand? Do you follow him, are you, or are you just content to experience his sort of common grace, the common grace of being around Christian people and common grace of just enjoying sort of a nice moral life, or do you actually uh, believe what Jesus has said? Will you believe what Jesus has said? Maybe this is the day when you say, Jesus, this is the day I'm going to believe that you lived the life I should have lived, you died the death I should have died, and you rose again, and in rising again, you're healing all, all things, you're making all things new. Think about that. Let me pray for us. Father, I pray that you would... Um, that work these words into our heart, you work this priority into our heart, that the priority of Jesus was not just showing mercy, but it was preaching mercy, the mercy found in him. And I pray that you would define us by that. In his name we pray these things, amen and amen.